Hi everyone, welcome to Baby Steps Nutrition, a podcast that focuses on nutrition, health, and wellness for families of children of all ages and stages. I'm your host, Argavon Neil Forouge, a pediatric dietitian and mom of two young children. My goal is to bring you impactful information that you can apply every day in a simplified, practical form to make life easier. Now let's get into today's conversation. Integrative medicine is a philosophy of care that looks at the child as a whole person. In the context of their birth and medical history, family and household, the community, their emotional well-being, their diet, quality of sleep, and physical activity. With acute and chronic illnesses in children skyrocketing, we need to look at the foundation of health, the basics that we all need to prioritize, yet they are often overlooked in conventional medicine. Rather than doom and gloom, we need to support families to empower them to make the best choices for themselves and household members. Dr. Joel Gator Warsh is an integrative and holistic board-certified pediatrician in Los Angeles, California. He grew up in Toronto, Canada, and completed a master's degree in epidemiology and community health before earning his medical degree from Thomas Jefferson Medical College. He completed his pediatric residency at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. Dr. Gator founded Integrative Pediatrics and Medicine in 2018, where he works today. Dr. Gator has published research in peer-reviewed journals on topics including childhood injuries, obesity, and physical activity. He has been featured in numerous documentaries, films, podcasts, and articles. Welcome, Dr. Joel. I am beyond excited that you're here. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, I'm not only happy that you're from my hometown, but your philosophy of parenting and patient care are completely in line with mine, which is all about respectful parenting. So I'm, I'm excited to hear what you're going to say today. Yeah, I love it. Let's, uh, let's jump right in. <laughs> let's do it. Let's go a little bit back, though. So you're an integrative pediatrician. What exactly does that mean? And what are your thoughts on, quote unquote, conventional medicine? You know, everybody has a different uh, definition, I think, for integrative medicine. It doesn't really have one specific meaning. But to me, it means blending the best of modern, Western, traditional medicine with um, ancient practices, alternative medicine, alternative healing practices, and just blending the best of, of both worlds that we do the best on the day for the patient. And we and we balance between modern medicine and, uh, you know, ancient practices, Eastern medicine. I'm not against Western medicine at all. I'm not against conventional medicine. I think that we have made amazing strides over the last 20, 50, you know, however many years. And and we have cures for things that would have killed you or a child 10, 15 years ago. But we're also very focused in modern Western medicine on treatments and medications. And there are also lots of other options out there that have been used for uh, you know, decades and centuries and are used all over the world that we just aren't super familiar with here in, in uh, America and Western medicine. And so, you know, to me, it's just blending both of those worlds together and not, um, and, and making sure that we do what is safe on the day. You know, sometimes you need an antibiotic and that's great, but most of the time you just don't need that. And there are other things that we can try first. Um, and so that, that to me is where we just integrate both worlds. 
I love that. And I, I think what people need to know that it's based on evidence-based research. Sometimes people think, you know, there are certain words thrown around in the medical community and people often question it or criticize it. But I think that's an important point to make that it is based on science. It is based on research. Right, exactly. And, you know, there's obviously not as much research on integrative medicine in general. There's lots of research on many things, and, and that's great. And, and I think that, you know, in general, the trend is moving a little bit more towards including some of these practices and, and you know, things that were considered woo-woo maybe 10, 15 years ago are, are very mainstream. For example, acupuncture is a really good example where, you know, maybe that was a little bit more uh, you know, woo-woo-ish before, and now you see it in every hospital, and it's used in pain clinics, and we're trying to avoid opioid use, and so, you know, that might be a first-line treatment, and it just takes a long time for some of these things to get um, embedded into to Western medicine, and also takes a lot of research, and, and the reality is that medications, you know, come from pharmaceutical companies who have a lot of money, and they have a lot of time to do research and a lot of uh, incentive to do it, and, and there's not a lot uh, a financial gain to be had from studying like a vitamin D or, or a supplement. Uh, so it's just the research takes a little bit longer and there has to be certain groups that are very interested in looking into it for us to get the research. But the reality is there is lots of good research on a lot of um, integrative practices. And so that's where, you know, you might have to dig into the research a little bit more or dive a little bit deeper in, in, into it. But there is some good research out there that exists. And also the reality for most uh, natural remedies is the risks are much lower too. Uh, and so that that's always a good thing when it comes to natural medicine. But at the same time, just because it's natural doesn't mean it can't be dangerous. And, and so that's where it, it's really important to balance and to work with a practitioner that knows what they're doing. And to also, you know, as we go on uh, with, you know, future medicine is the more that regular practitioners can learn about some of these alternatives, the better, because there are some alternatives that can uh, react with the regular medications that you're taking. And we want to know about those things. We want to know about those reactions because the goal is to get you better. And so, you know, that's where the balance again comes in and, and just working within both worlds, but keeping things safe. Yeah. And, you know, something I tell other new parents, because my kids are a little bit older, is you really need to have that trusted relationship with your healthcare provider. You should be able to ask questions. You should be able to bring about, you know, not stuff from Google, not stuff from Facebook and parenting forums, but, you know, research that you've come across and maybe an article that resonated with you and be able to ask those questions and have reception and openness and backing of whether it's true or not, you know, and having that relationship with your doctor. Right, exactly. And a lot of times, just like you said, it's, it's how you present it, not if you present it. Doctors are, you know, let's, let's talk about pediatricians because I know lots of pediatricians, they're great people. You know, for the most part, they're very nice. They're taking care of kids. And, you know, they're not necessarily interested in hearing what you heard on your Facebook group, um, whether that information might be, you know, true or not. That's not really the best way to present information to a doctor. But if you're like, hey, I was read, I heard about this and I went and I looked in the literature and I found these articles, you know, what are your thoughts on this? You, could we try this? And then, you know, it depends. Some of them depends on what the situation and what we're talking about. But sometimes you're going to get a, you know, I don't really know too much about that, but it sounds like a great idea. It doesn't sound dangerous. You can give it a try and see how it goes. Um, other times they might say, oh, that's really interesting. Let me look into it more. And doctors all the time, you know, read about things, learn about things and add new practices into their, into their, uh, into their skill sets. So, you know, sometimes that, that is really helpful. And, and you do see it all the time where, a child will be in the Western system or a parent will be in the Western system for a long time. And 
they'll go do something natural uh, and then whatever symptoms they were having or whatever issues they were having get better and they go back to their western doctor and it's like well, what did you do like what what's going on here how, how did this happen and then after that happens then you know a lot of times they will go learn a little bit more about it and you know maybe start working that into their to their treatment regimens or at least maybe you know partner up with with another practitioner who maybe works on whatever the natural thing is and, and start bringing it into their practice. And over time, as more and more people do that, then it starts to seep into the regular system. You know, one doctor talks to the other and it's like, oh, you know, I was using this acupuncture for gallbladder disease and it was amazing and the patient got better and, and they didn't have to do surgery. And then the other one learns about it and then they try it and eventually it works its way through. And that's what happened with acupuncture and happened with yoga and, and all sorts of things. Um, so it, it is possible to happen. It's just slow. Yes. And one thing I know you're big on and something that I'm big on are there is no one size fits all. Every mm-hmm. family is different. Every child is different. So what may work for one person doesn't necessarily work or may be sustainable over long term for another. Right. And, and I think that's also where sometimes in Western medicine, that's what really turns the doctors off is, is the practitioners or people that kind of have this one size fits all natural cure for everything. And if you just like drink this smoothie, it's going to cause, you know, it's going to cure your cancer. Or if you, you know, do X, Y, or Z, and they use that same protocol for every single patient all the time, then that's going to, you know, make them better. And it doesn't mean that those things can't help, but it's, it's, it's balancing and and also the messaging and, and working as a team, as opposed to, take this one supplement, it's going to cure everything. That, that's not the way that anything works. You know, sometimes it'll work for you. Sometimes it won't for some people. It'll work for some people. It, will, it won't. And, and so it's just really, just like you said, about balance and about working together to find the best solutions for you and the patient on each specific situation, which is going to be different for everybody. Agreed. Now let's talk about the hot topic of the day. Childhood acute and chronic illnesses are skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. Why are we seeing this? And what are some lifestyle factors families need to prioritize? Yeah, it's terrifying. You look at the statistics and they just keep going up and up. The latest adult statistics are more than 50% of adults have a chronic disease and around 50%, maybe even more than 50% of kids have a chronic disease. And we're talking about ADHD, autism, allergies, eczema, you know, there's a long list of, mm-hmm. of different chronic diseases. But the, the reality is that you look at it, it's very scary. And the number just keeps going up and up and up. And the there is no one reason I don't think we well, we certainly don't know exactly what's causing it. But, you know, to me, it's it's just a mixture of, of our, our lifestyle and, and how we're living and what we're doing. And we haven't changed genetically that much in the last hundred years or so, but the rate of chronic disease is skyrocketing. So that means it's mostly environmental and it means it's mostly the things that we're doing or surrounded by uh, that's contributing to this increasing in chronic disease. And that's, you know, really comes from the, the foundations and the big one would really be our diet. Uh, the big two would be like our diet and, and the toxins that we're surrounded by. And then just the increased stress that we're living with, not getting enough sleep and not getting enough exercise are also you know, really important as well. Um, and I call that the, the seeds of health. So S being stress, E being environment and toxins, other E, uh, exercise, D, diet, and S, uh, sleep. And, and those are really the foundations. It's not rocket science. We know these things are important, but you know we just haven't focused on these nearly as much. Uh, recently, and we definitely need to get back to it. And we have to refocus on how important our diet is and make sure we're getting the nutrients that we need, and also try to decrease the toxins that we're surrounded by and exposed to as much as we can. 
And if we have to break down each of those letters in the acronym and maybe give one tip or advice to make those changes starting today, what would you say those are starting with sleep? Sure. So with sleep, I think that's you know kind of an easier one. Um, we'd have to get me make sure we're getting enough sleep for sure. You know, during the last few years, it's been very stressful and, and schedules have been thrown off and, and, you know, maybe sometimes kids weren't in school or, or weren't doing, weren't having their normal routines. And so sleep also and maybe wasn't as regular as it needs to be. And we know that you need to get enough sleep to detoxify your body and to rest and, and all of these things. So number one would just be making sure that we're getting to bed in an appropriate time and getting enough sleep for our age. Um, and if we're not, then just making sure that we think about some of the basics that can really help us with sleep, like making sure that the room is nice and cool, making sure that uh, it's not too bright, uh, not being on our screens before bed. Um, so, you know, maybe trying to put the phones away, don't have them right beside you, try to you know, at least half an hour to an hour before bed to get off the screens, um, just so you, you give your body a chance to get into that restful state. Um, so those would be a couple tips for S. Um, for sleep. And then in terms of environment and toxins, so we are surrounded by chemicals and toxins all of the time. And we can make some simple changes to our life in terms of the things that we're purchasing just to decrease some of those toxins in our home and just to be mindful of those toxins that we're bringing in. And the easiest ones are things like cleaners. Uh, You know, it's important that we keep things clean, but at the same time, you don't want to be too clean. And there's all these, you know, 99% antibacterial killing sprays and all these things. But, you know, our grandparents and and great grandparents used to use like water and vinegar or baking powder or things like baking soda and things like that. And and those work fine for the most part and don't have any chemicals in them. And so you can make small changes and just think about if these are the things that we're washing our floors with and we're walking around and that stuff's getting on our skin. So, you know, any little changes that we can make, the better. Same with our, what we clean our, our uh, sheets with and what we can clean our clothes with and uh, what we're purchasing it to bring in the home, the, the, the clothes. And what's what are the clothes been sprayed with? What are the bedding that we're using? All these things have chemicals. So just being mindful of that, just like uh, when you buy food, you know, we're mindful of, of the chemicals. And the same thing should be uh, for the, the, the items that we're purchasing. So just to be mindful. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Next, and, would be, oh, I was just going to say about the chemicals and when the pandemic happened, right? The over sterilization of everything and the kids' hands and Lysol. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that had some impact on the gut for children and adults as well. Yeah, I think it's an important thing to remember that we're a, an ecosystem, right? Where mm-hmm. we are, there's so many bacteria and viruses and everything all over us, inside of us. We're, you know, our gut is filled with bacteria and and so just because the the words get a bad connotation and some bacteria and viruses can be bad if they get in the wrong place in the wrong situation but most are not most of them uh, help us and are a part of us and are us and so we're not we're not supposed to just kill everything that's not a good idea you you know it doesn't mean you should go around licking a doorknob and (laughs) uh you know um getting coughed and sneezed on but at the same time you don't just want to be wiping everything down all the time and, and killing all the, the bacteria because it, with all good comes bad, right? Again, it's mm-hmm. comes back to balance and, and that theory. And, and, you know, you can, for example, if you get sick and you take an antibiotic, right? That, then if you have a bad pneumonia, great. We kill the, the bad bacteria and that saves your life. 
wonderful. But just taking an antibiotic just because when you don't need to, everything that you do has a good and a bad, and you're killing the good bacteria along with the bad bacteria. And if you need the antibiotic, so be it. But it's the same thing when you do use these sprays. If you're killing the good uh, the good bacteria and you're killing things that are supposed to be touching your body, touching your skin, getting into your body uh, and keeping that balanced ecosystem, then if you're killing those things, then your ecosystem is going to be off and then your body is going to be off and then you're going to be more likely to get sick. You're going to be more likely to get get a chronic disease. And, and that's what we're, we're seeing. We're just throwing ourselves out of balance uh, because, you know, Lysol didn't exist I don't know when it came in, but like, you know, a few hundred years ago, there was no, no Lysol. So our bodies never developed to deal with these things. And now these are new products and they can do some good, but they also do some bad. And, and if we're spraying it all the time, then that's where you, you can run into an issue. If you spray it once in a while, it's probably not going to be an issue, but you spray it every single day, all the time for every single thing that your kids touch and you wipe their hands down all the time, every single day, then, you know, what bad are you doing with the good, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you have to think about. And if, and if you're killing off the things that are supposed to be there, then that could have some long-term effect potentially. And I'm sure that it does. And, you know, we're just at the beginning stages of learning all of these things, but logic would tell you that if you kill off the good bacteria and the things that are supposed to be there, um, then we're going to have problems. Right. And we certainly live in a world of extremes, right? And people Mm -hmm. are learning that when the balance is off, that's when problems start to happen. For sure. For sure. Dr. Gator, of course, you know, our audience, are families, moms and dads, I feel like we don't talk about dads enough. I know in a lot of my conversations, I wish I could talk about it a little bit more. You're a dad, you're a working professional. Of course, the pandemic happened. And even more so people realized the sort of lack of division of responsibility, right, the imbalance in the home in terms of duties and roles. In your opinion, how important is the role of dads in the home? Oh, I think it's very important. I, I think that um, w- we've evolved in a certain way. We can see how you know many species have evolved to you know protect their children and to be there and to divide up responsibilities and, and to help each other out. I, I'm not a big fan of there needing to be you know very specific gender roles or very specific roles. But I think the bigger thing is just being there for each other and, you know, whatever, whatever family setup that you have um, it's, it's, you know, anything's easier to do when you work together. Right. And, and yes. so you know, being there and in, in, in modern society, we need to um, protect our children, feed our children, clothe our children, have a place for them to, to live, um, bring in, in money to some degree to, to have that lifestyle. If you're living in a Western Western world and then, you know, to be there for your kids. And so however you divide that up, uh, I think, you know, every family is very different, but, but there are things that need to be done regardless of how your family looks. And so just dividing those things up is very helpful. And, and not to say that a single parent home can't, you know, be very successful, but you look at the research and the data and, and certainly there are more concerns and issues with, with kids that come out of a divorce home or out of a home where there is one parent. And, and so I think it's just things to be mindful of. And, and really the biggest thing is just what environment is your child being grown up, uh, brought up in and, and whatever that is, then if they have a nurturing, loving environment, then, then that, that is great. But just because there are two parents or two guardians can also be a terrible environment. So it's, it's just the balance of all of those things. So true. And what about in your practice? Do you see more dads bringing the kids to appointments? Do you still see the, you know, this idea of mom burden still very much on the rise? What are you seeing there in terms of uh, 
parenting and their involvement? Yeah, good question. I, I think the involvement of dads has increased over the time that I've been working. I, I think that still um, parenting and you know paying attention to like parenting websites and blogs and coming to visits and, and asking questions, it's still more predominantly women. Uh, I would say I definitely see more more moms in the office than dads, but also probably overall more dads work than moms. And, and so they're here, you know, available during the day, but not necessarily as much anymore. So I think it's still, you know, more on the mom side in terms of coming in the office, but lots of dads come in. I mean, it's not, it's not like it's 90% moms and, and couple percent dads it's like you know it's 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 increasing a lot more and a lot of families both parents come in to all or most of the visits and, and i think that's great i think not only is it important to be here just so you can ask questions and learn but i think it's also important to be a unified front and and be able to ask your questions together um, because it is hard sometimes when you have a discussion about something and then there's broken telephone and then <laughs> you know if mom or dad is the one that comes in and then has to relay the information to the other one um, then that can be tough, but also technology is helpful too these days. Cause you know, we have like, we can, we can FaceTime a parent in or, or whatever. So even if you can't necessarily be here, if you can, you know, take five minutes off, then you can ask your questions or, or you can be in the room virtually, uh, which, which is helpful in terms of technology. So yeah, I, I would say you know, to specifically answer your questions, dads are on the rise. You know, I think dads are beginning more and more involved in parenting and are a little bit more emotional, mm-hmm. emotionally, uh, involved and, and probably they were back in the day. I mean, it's hard to know because I was young at that point, but I, I feel like based on everything that I've seen and heard um, and what I've just even seen in my career, it, dad, dads are definitely, um, the, the roles are, have changed, I think, and, and there's a lot more uh, parenting styles that are in the middle versus your traditional male and, and female roles in the in the family, if that makes sense. That's a good point. And I think a lot of conversations that I've had with people are when the pandemic happened. And again, speaking of extremes, we were all stay at home. We were literally home, not being able to go anywhere. And I think there was that understanding or awareness or eye-opening experience of, wow, this is really what it takes to take care of my child day in and day out. Yeah. And and I think that the the pandemic was a very you know specific, unique situation where it, it was really interesting to see because that to some degree brought the traditional roles back more um, because realistically, if, if you could not, if you have kids and you were sending them to say daycare or school or whatever, and there was no school and you had to be home, then there's only one of you. <laughs> so you can't, you can't work and take care of your kids. And unless your kids are like, teenagers and are pretty much able to handle their own things. And it's like a full-time job. You know, I have a two and a half year old and it's like, there's no way I could be working and taking care of him. Right. I mean, if you're sitting in front of the TV for like 20 or 30 minutes then fine, I could maybe do something, but you know, that's not ideal, but you can't, you can't do both, right? You just can't. Mm-hmm. So, you know, s- something had to give. And, and and we did see the number of, of women drop in terms of the workforce and increase in terms of staying home and taking care of, of kids. And that was like the highest level it was, since like the seventies or eighties, but that was just, there was no choice. I mean, somebody had to do it. Somebody had to take care of the kids. You can't just let them run around wild at home. And, and so you, you know, you either had to go to working part time or stop working altogether or, or figure out some sort of plan or bring in a babysitter or something. Um, but that's just, you know, reality is reality. And, and so I think that was interesting to see, but I think that trends are kind of moving back again at this point, uh, which is good. But again, it's like there, there is no, I don't, Traditional is not a thing anymore. You know? mm. it, it, there, there are some traditional gender roles, but there's also all sorts of families we take care of that have two dads or two moms or, 
um, you know, one parent or there's so many different kinds of homes these days and, and everybody makes it work for them. Um, and that's great. But I, I think that the, you know, traditional roles don't need to be there specifically, but you do need to share uh, responsibility and figure out what works in your homes so that all the tasks get completed. Yes. And I'm glad you brought up the yeah. word traditional because I think the traditional thinking of parenting was you die for your kids, right? I know that yeah. term is translated in so many different languages. It's like, I would, I would die for my kid. And I remember you shared a powerful quote that said, your kids don't need you to die for them. They need you to live. What mm-hmm. did you mean by this? Yeah, I think that, you know, sometimes we think about the most extreme things like, oh, you know, if, if, if somebody was shooting at my kid, I would jump in front of a bullet. But, you know, that's such an extreme, rare case. Whereas the reality is our, our, our children, for the most part, just need us to be present. They don't need you to be super parent and, and you don't have to do every single thing and not everything has to be perfect. Um, but the, 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 the worst thing that we can do for our kids is not be present, be extra stressed out, be anxious ourselves, not be able to take care of ourselves because then we can't take care of them. What they really just need you to do is take care of yourself and then be there and support them and make them feel, you know, loved and, and protected. And that is, uh, you know, in a way dying for them, right? You're, you're living for them. You're doing the things that they need to do. Um, and you don't need to jump in front of a bullet. You can do it right now by just being there and protecting them. And, and that's, the reality of what they need. I mean, if, if this is happening, sure, you can, you can jump in front of a bullet to save them. I think that's obviously wonderful, but that's not, that's not the reality of what we need to be thinking about every day. We need to be thinking about what we can be doing to give them the best possible life and give ourselves the best possible life. And that stems from being present. Yes. And what I love about working in pediatrics is mm-hmm. often you are talking about the child, but you're really talking to the whole entire family, right? So like the acronym mm-hmm. that you mentioned about seeds, I often will say, well, the families need to do that, right? The siblings, the parents, the caregivers all need to focus on sleep and their diet and their stress levels and everything that comes with it. Yeah, we can talk about the child, but role modeling is so important, right? And like, as you said, you want to put your oxygen mask on first before being able to help somebody else. So I think we, even right. though we focus okay. on the child, it's all about the entire family household unit. Right. It's, it starts with the parents. It's it's basically useless to try to change a child if the parent is not going to do it, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you you have to model the behavior and you can't expect your kids to do something if you don't do it. You can't expect them to go outside and, and exercise if you're not. You can't expect them to eat healthy if you're eating a cupcake in front of them, right? you know? It's so so it, it's, yeah, it, it starts with you. I mean... I've had this discussion several times. I was joking about on the news that I was on, I think it was on CBS the other day and they were talking about, you know, parents being role models and purchasing. And I was just like, yeah, but you purchased the food. Like <laughs> yeah. who cares if they're upset? It doesn't matter. They might be upset for like five minutes and it doesn't mean that you should buy a whole pantry full of food that they don't want to eat or that doesn't taste good. But there are lots of healthy, better options available these days uh, luckily, and and you buy the food. So if you don't want them to eat something, don't buy it. It doesn't mean that you yeah. can never eat a piece of cake again, or you can never eat any sugar ever in your life ever again. But you have to manage what you can manage, and you can manage what they eat at home, and and buy more options that are healthier than what you're buying now, and have those available and out. So it's the easier thing to get, 
and don't purchase the crap. Just don't yeah. buy it. And then those cookies and things just won't be there. Um, and it doesn't mean that you should go from a pantry full of like Oreos and things to, you know, broccoli. Um, but, you know, start slow and start by buying a better version of the thing that you were buying so that you have cookies buy a better version of cookies. And then that way, at least if they go to snack, it's a little bit better. And then just kind of work your way down. Um, and, and, you know, one thing at a time, just kind of slowly shift things, but just don't buy the stuff you don't want to eat. It's not, it's not hard. That part is not hard. It's like, it's addictive, but yeah. it's not hard. You just have to make a decision and you just say, okay, when I go to the grocery store, I'm not buying any of this crap anymore. And I'm going to throw out everything that is crap in my house. And that's it. Um, we're just not doing it anymore. Um, and that, and that's just what you have to do. And again, we go back to the chronic disease rates and it's like, people always want to make excuses and, and I get it. I get it. It takes more time to cook and I get that it sometimes can be more expensive to purchase healthier foods. Not always, but it certainly can be, but we can no longer make these excuses. You just can't. The rates of chronic disease are so severe and skyrocketing so fast that you are the only one, the parents who can really change that trajectory for your kids. And we have to make a decision that we're not going to make excuses anymore for cost or time. And we're going to do what we can to improve things. And that just might mean we're going to make one more meal a week, or we're not going to buy cookies anymore, even though that's what we love. And we're going to buy a better version. And, you know, you can decrease the sugar by a few grams every week. You could uh, make one more meal so you know exactly what's in it. And and that's going to move things in the right direction. Then maybe later you can do two more meals and, you know, eventually you get to a place where you're eating healthier every single day. And that's great, but you don't necessarily have to just eat green vegetables all day, every day. That That's not necessarily what you need, but we just need to start moving things in a healthier direction versus an unhealthier direction because the, tr- the trend and trajectory is faster, easier, simpler. Um, and everything for the most part that is faster, easier, simpler has a cost on the other end, which is quality and nutrients um, because something that sits on your shelf for two years, there has to be something that they put in there to keep it there for two years. It can't be good for you. Like there's some preservative that's keeping it alive when it's supposed to die after two or three days. Right. So yep. you, know, you just have to think about that. And something I constantly, mm-hmm. I'm trying to raise awareness of, I've covered it on the podcast. I talked to my patients about, and just people around me are that connection between food and mood, right? The mind body connection mm-hmm. that there are certain things that affect your child's behavior. So if you are seeing that pattern but you continue to purchase those foods and put it in the home and then expect that child not to go in the pantry. And then there's that power struggle, right? Which then everything is snowballing out of control. Well, then it's a lose-lose situation. So number one tip, just don't buy it in the home. There's plenty of exposure already outside of the home, right? And we certainly don't want to, you know, have certain behaviors that will lead to disordered eating patterns and orthorexia and and all of those body image issues that Mm -hmm. have become so prominent with teenagers. But it is exposure. And if it's just not in the home, then there's no access to it. So right away, you've made a great stride. Right, exactly. And and that's where, you know, that's a great point of you don't want to go too far either and shame kids or, or um, you know, you can go too far in terms of eating uh, restrictiveness. But the real way to go, the real way that I like to go about and talk about it is just like you said, you just you talk about health. We want to be healthy. We want to have good foods. It's not about not eating or restricting or or 
you know, dieting. And that's not what we're doing. We're just making healthier choices consistently and we're bringing healthy food in in the home and that's what we're going to eat. And that's it. Um, and, and, and then hopefully those choices will filter through them through their life. So they make healthier choices when, when they're older, but there are, we're not trying to deprive them of food. We're trying to help them choose better versions of the things that they like. And, and, you know, for example, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of plant milks and I work with a company called Kiki Milk and, and yes. you know, we created a, a milk where it's none of the crap mm-hmm. uh, and, and just plant-based ingredients and it tastes great. And it's like, okay, it's not the same exactly as like cow's milk, but you don't have all the stuff that's in there. And, and for somebody who, for a child who wants to drink something, you know, there are so many options out there for plant-based milks now, right? Yes. Or other kinds of milk is like 10,000 different kinds. So just go look at the ingredients and find the one that makes the most sense for you and you're not trying to deprive your kid of drinking milk if they love milk but maybe you can mix it up and have different kinds of milks and have different nutrients and have a you know you will have you won't have the exposure to the exact same kind of chemicals that maybe some of the cows are exposed to these days so like there's just just one example but there's options of things that you can do but you're not trying to deprive them you're trying to find an option that they will like to replace the other one and maybe they'll like it more yes (laughs) you know and you brought up a good point about what's missing in our diet or is variety, right? We just simply need mm-hmm. to add more variety of foods, but we seem to be limited to the same foods all the time. So the more you can add diversity, uh, the better for your overall health. Exactly. Now, Dr. Gator, I want to ask you, you know, you're a dad now, how do you practice medicine differently from that lens? In terms of with my patients or with my own child? Both. So it's kind of the, <laughs> if you knew then what you know now. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think, you know, as be, when you become a dad, you you really get a sense of what the parents are going through. I think when you when you go through medicine, it's so rigorous and, you know, <clears throat> you're always seeing sick patients and, and it's just like a crazy training and you really get um, you really have to kind of disassociate from it and, and you know, really focus on the diagnosis and the disease and you really sometimes forget the patient and what people are going through. And, and when you have your own child, especially as a pediatrician, then it's like you, you remember the other side of things and, and it reminds you of, Oh, this is why parents are afraid. And this is what they're worried about. Oh, I have that same fear. And, you know, so I think, I think it just helps you to be a little bit more present and to be a little bit more mindful of what people are going through. So I think that's really helpful Mm -hmm. in terms of, of, of being a parent when you're a pediatrician. And, and, and I think that on the flip side, you know, when, as a doctor to being a parent, it's a, it's a great thing and a bad thing. You know, it's a great thing because if you're on vacation, something happens, you're like, you kind of know the basics or what to be worried about. But then I think on the flip side, you have a lot of doctors that know way too much. And then every little thing, you know, can take them to the worst case scenario of the thing that they saw, but, you know, realistically, it's not probably going to happen. So you, you have sometimes too much knowledge um, of, of what could be. And so the little cough, you know, you've seen the one kid over your whole career where the cough turned into the thing that turned the other thing that sent to the hospital. And you're like, you know, overly worried, uh, about it too. So then, you know, just balancing and kind of bring yourself back to the reality of the situation. But, you know, there's a good and a bad from, from both sides, but, but it's, I think overall helpful to be a pediatrician just cause I have a good sense of, you know, what to be worried about. Yes. And remind me how old your child is. Two and a half. Yeah, so you're you're in the thick of things. Oh yeah, definitely. He's, uh, he's running around, keeping us busy, talking up a storm, and trying to bang his head on everything. So yes, and the, and the challenges right are to come, right? 
Yeah, yeah, there's always new challenges. I mean, it's so much more fun, I think, at this age and even the younger age because it's more, got more of a personality. But at that same time, it's like then he has a personality. So you have to work that into the day. <laughs> yes, there's a big challenge for the parents, right? Mm-hmm. Is seeing your child Definitely. for who they are. Yeah, I think I think it's a it's wonderful, but it's certainly a, a challenge in terms of learning who they are and, and, and trying to respect them and, and set up things in a way that for them to be successful and also you know the vocabulary increases so they can say no yes. and, and they have they have their opinion on what, what you know he's a good eater we're lucky and a good sleeper but you know he sometimes doesn't want to eat whatever and so you have to be mindful of of those kinds of things and um or he sees you eating something different and then he yep. wants that you know so it's, it's all those things where i think it's all reasonable and you want your kid to be exploring and doing those things but just it comes with the territory yes and i bet you get asked this too i sometimes well a lot of the times kids think oh my kids only mm-hmm. eat you know, Brussels sprouts and their collard greens. And, and I'm like, no, that I wish, right. That because I'm in the industry and my kids eat that way. And we have a lot of conversation about, you know, better choices and, and why things are the way they are, but that's absolutely not the case all the time. So I think it's just funny that people's perception of just because you're the professional in your in- industry, that your kids will just magically, you know, rise to the occasion and, and mirror everything that you practice. Yeah. I, well, I would say, you know, so far for us, we've been pretty lucky. Eli mm-hmm. is like a super good eater and eats all the healthy stuff. So that part has been very lucky. But I think that, you know, at le- based on my experience thus far in pediatrics, if you have two kids, then like they're opposite yes. <laughs> half the time. So like, so we, Eli might be the good eater. And if we have another one, then they're probably going to like eat nothing. That's kind of the way that it is. So I don't think it's like a medical or nutrition thing i, I right. think you know you, I, I see lots of other people that are in the health industry and like one kid's a super good eater and the other yes. one's not so you know maybe maybe you have a little bit of an advantage maybe yes um, but I, I don't think that it's gonna mean it doesn't mean you're gonna have three kids at all you know just eat broccoli every day that, yes. that's not true as definitely much not as true. we wish <laughs> but yeah don't don't feel bad out there if you're listening if like you know one of your kids is a picky eater yeah. every family pretty much that's true Yes. And a lot of um, something I educate parents on, it's a behavioral thing, but it's really about the power struggle because food is one thing that they can control. So it mm-hmm. may or may not even be a preference thing. It's just about a control thing. So the more yeah. that you fight with them on it, the more they're going to fight you back. And who can bring you to your knees more than your children, right? They are talented at that. Very talented. Yes. They know how to push your very buttons that maybe a stranger does not know. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Now, Dr. Gator, let's talk about if you were to pick this perfect pantry that had all the essentials for health and healing, or we were just to make swaps in our own kitchens, what are some of those things that you think people should have, like the the essentials? Yes, great, great question. Um, Let's see. So I think... Number one, you want to have diversity and variety. So that's that's important. I think when it comes to kids, you want to use the rainbow as a, as a really great tool. So different colors is really good. Um, maybe most important these days is what not, not to have. So I think you really want to focus on <clears throat> looking at labels and trying to decrease the chemicals uh, in the long weird word things that you don't even know what they are from your pantry. So that means, you know, you look at the label and if there's like tetramethylhydrobromo, whatever, then, you know, you try not to buy things with that on the label as much as you can buy food, <clears throat> real food, things that you actually know what they are. Um, and, you know, if it's pecans and almonds and 
bananas and whatever, it's probably pretty decent for you. If it's some long chemical word, then it's probably not great for you. So as much as you can just buy real whole food and, and obviously buy, you know, we want fruits and vegetables and, and a variety of those and then healthy fats and healthy proteins. Uh, and, you know, it depends on what your family personal preferences you know some people eat meat some people don't you can be super healthy as a vegan vegetarian you can be super healthy as a meat eater for the most part so you just want to make sure that you have a variety and are covering all the bases for those uh different categories but realistically it's if there's one thing that i tell parents to do it's to read labels it's to read everything that you're buying look at what's on there and try to pick things with the best ingredients and the fewest chemicals. And if you can avoid uh, genetically modified foods as much as you can, and you can buy organic as much as you can, and you can buy foods with clean labels um, and from companies that uh, at least as much as we can be aware of that they care about these things and they care about the environment and they care about the toxins and they care about you at least enough to put on their their packaging, um, then that is going to go a long way because you know, one little bit of a chemical, probably not going to be a problem. But if you're eating things every day, all the time, combined with every other chemical and toxin that you're exposed to, then eventually it's too much for your body. And eventually you get sick. Or if you already are, uh, if you already do have a child that has an illness, then, you know, the more that you can decrease that load on their body, then the more likely then their body's going to be able to get back into balance and to deal with it, what it needs to deal with. So if you're, you know, you're picking your pantry, then just try to buy real food. It, again, it's not, I think when we, we look at a lot of the, I don't know, celebrity out there who talk about food or, or the practitioners that have their books or whatever, it's just like, do X, Y, or Z. This is mm-hmm. the one way. This is the thing that you need to do. This is the smoothie that you need to eat, you know? And that to me is just not real and yes. it doesn't translate to the world and, and to the reality it's you don't have to do any of that just you just have to think about what you're purchasing and make better choices and those better choices are buying real food to the best of your ability <clears throat> with whatever budget that you have um and and that doesn't mean that you have to go spending 15 dollars on strawberries every day but it, it does mean that you know maybe you become a little bit aware of what are some of the foods that have the most chemicals on them and you buy a better version of that or if you're buying processed whatever you just buy a better version of that and you just try to get the processed foods out. Uh, and if you do that, then most people are going to do fine and most kids are going to do fine. Um, and I think that that would be, that would be one of the biggest changes for health possible just to make those small changes. And also if we do that as a world, then the companies are going to do it because they're going to have no choice. Cause if you're not buying the crappy right. food, they won't make it, they won't make it anymore. Yes. There's a whole other supply <laughs> demand issue, right? We need to, speak louder with our wallets. So yeah, I mean, stop making those we, for us. Right. I mean, how much more organic food do you see now than you used to five, 10 years ago? It's because people are buying that. Um, and, you know, there's all sorts of other things we don't have to get into with, with food of that nature. But, you know, at least if you're thinking about it, because that's what we're buying, then they start to produce food that is that way. And if, if everybody does the same thing with all the rest of the food, then they're not going to produce it like that. I mean, just look at the difference of the food. You can look at the labels in America versus Europe or other places that have more rules. Uh, and it's it's pretty astronomical what the differences are. And that's just because of what the rules are and what people buy. Yeah. And the things that are banned in other parts of the world and we're feeding it mm-hmm. to our children. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. angering in right. itself. Um, right. I mean, that's a whole, yeah. oh, I was just saying, it's a whole other world of uh, advocacy and, you know, bigger picture things. And there are a lot of bigger picture things that need to happen, but those are not necessarily things that you're going to do in your home right now with your three kids who are screaming and, and 
you know, wanting to watch whatever. I, I, it's just so much easier to focus on what you can actually focus on. Um, and yeah, it'd be great if everybody gets involved and advocates and, and does whatever, but that's probably not going to be the reality, but you can advocate for your own family by making better choices. Right. And just don't buy, like you said, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Now let's talk about the online world, right? Now there's a whole other <laughs> area yeah. where there's judgment, aggression, criticism, hatred. Uh, you're a doctor. And of course, I think the pandemic, a lot of that became more extreme. What do you want people to know about the impact of social media on doctors and how are things worsened or improved and how you communicate with your own patients and community? Yeah. Social media is fun these days. Um, It's, uh, you know, I think that division and the way that things are is really sad. It's not a good way for the world to be. It's not a good way for uh, America to be or for medicine to be, but it is a thing. Um, and anger is a big thing online and, and getting really angry really fast for no real good reason is definitely a thing. Um, but it doesn't serve anybody very well. And I think, you know, from all the research that I've done and from everything that I've listened to, it really is a function of the algorithms and, you know, just the way that, that things have gone over the last few years to promote people staying on the platforms. And by nature of that, then the algorithms promote the things that, have the most comments and the most likes and the most discussion. And that by nature is things that make you angry. That's just the science and the reality of things. And so those get promoted more and you don't see as many cute dogs anymore. You see a lot right. more uh, a fighting and, 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 you know, you tend to see what you, what you dislike and get angry and we're just wired to do that. And so it's, it's very important to take a step back, I think at this point and recognize what's going on and just try to minimize that as much as possible um, I know a lot of people that have gone off social media and I think that's a reality, but at the same time, <clears throat> for a lot of people, it's not really possible. Mm-hmm. So then it's just <clears throat> about recognizing what's going on and just trying to minimize that for yourself. Um, try not to engage too yeah. much and, and try to tailor your feed to things that make you happier instead of angrier and start to make sure that you follow more accounts that, you know, post happy things and, and just, the more that you do that, the more you tailor your feed, then the less you're going to see the crazy things um, and the happier it'll probably be. Uh, perfectly said. And speaking about the pandemic and what it's highlighted to you and working with children and seeing household dynamics, coping mechanisms, the human spirit, what did you notice that were different than prior to the pandemic? In terms of uh, people or in terms of social media? In terms of people that you work with, both your online community and then the patients that you directly work with. Yeah, I think over the pandemic, the thing that really stood out is, uh, I don't know if it changed more, but it certainly became more prominent was mental health concerns. I think there was already a a huge uh, issue with mental health concerns, but definitely the pandemic brought it out and, and, and mental health problems have gone through the roof in terms of, you know, 30% increase in hospitals and more visits than ever before and and just a shortage of mental health practitioners. So I definitely saw online just more concerns from families, parents, kids, everybody uh, in terms of their mental health, which is not, you know, surprising at all. Um, And the the system's just really not set up to handle that level of of, uh, concern. Yeah. And I think in our busyness, right, we all had certain coping mechanisms and those were all taken away when we suddenly Mm -hmm. had to be home. And I think that's when things really, 
I say, you know, some really fell off the cliff and that was really hard to see. And mm-hmm. others just really had to scramble to keep their head above water. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of people were struggling before and then you, you know, add on to that, not being able to see your family or friends, not not going outside, not doing the activities that you love. Maybe there's a financial concern. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe somebody got sick. Maybe somebody died. Um, you know, everybody, everybody has a breaking point and people have been pushed beyond where they've probably been pushed ever before in their lives. Um, and so, you know, it all happened at the same time. <clears throat> so it's just, it's just a situation that is unprecedented to some degree. And, and, you know, hopefully things will improve over the next few years and, and, and the support will be there, but it's just, you know, we're, we're learning every day and then we're, you know, moving forward, but, there's a lot that needs to still be done and a lot of help that needs to be given. And, and there has been a lot of damage to our kids and, and, and really to everybody. And so we just need to remember that and, and really focus on mental health. And I even, I even talked about that, you know, just recently a lot more about, yeah, well, it's really easy for somebody to call me for a rash, but you know, sometimes they don't think about calling me for mental health, right. but you need to reach out. I mean, there are practitioners that can help you whether, you know, if you don't know someone, you can always talk to your doctor and they can, you know, connect you with, with the services that you need. But there are lots of people out there that, that are really helpful. And if you are feeling down or your kids are feeling down or you're just past where you feel like you can be, then, you know, reach out. And, and there are practitioners that, that specialize in this and can help with coping mechanisms and strategies and stress reduction techniques and all the things that we we should be learning about anyways. But, you know, we need to know about if we're at that point. Right. And I think prioritizing those more than ever before. Yeah, they are just, they're certainly more important than ever before. I think, you know, out out of the pandemic, if there's anything that we're to learn, I really hope it's about focusing on our health and our mental health and how important our our health really is. And, And no matter what we're exposed to, whether it's a future pandemic or anything, we're always going to be better able to handle it if we're generally healthier and, and take care of our bodies. And, and we've definitely seen that the last few years. Um, and, and so the more that we can take care of ourselves and then and ourselves includes our minds, yes. then, then, you know, we're just better prepared to handle whatever comes our way. There's always stressful things and that hasn't, you know, seemingly changed recently, even as things seem a little better in the pandemic, there's new issues, but there's always going to be new issues. Right. So we just have to, work to become as resilient as possible. Right. And we know that now it's been two years, the mm-hmm. anniversary of the first stay at home order. So it has now officially been chronic. So if people have been doing the day to day survival mode, right, that mm-hmm. can't sustain itself for longer, it's already been two years. So then exactly. those have started to have their impact. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Uh, let's talk about your podcast. It's called Raising Amazing. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us about the motivation behind it and were there any guests or episodes that stood out most for you? Yeah, the motivation really was just to get this message out a little bit more about um, what we need to do to raise amazing kids and and really just balancing the best of both worlds. And um, I had met Serena, who is a celebrity, and she she was one of the Power Rangers back in the day. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's really interested in health, too. And so we just wanted to combine kind of that celebrity power with medical power and just work together to get celebrities on and, and doctors on. And we, we 
bring in all sorts of great guests. We had like uh, Deepak Chopra's daughter, Malika Chopra. That was great. Just talking about stress reduction. Mm-hmm. We had Ian Smith, who's one of the hosts of the doctors TV show. And he talked about healthy eating. So we, we go over a lot of the topics that we talked about today, you know, some of them in, in more depth. And we, it's a, it's a very interesting mixture of um, guests where we, you know, it's all focused on parenting and kids, but you know, some are celebrities and they talk about their experiences and what they've learned. And other times we have, uh, experts on who talk about, you know, whichever topic, gut health and nutrition and, and exercise and all those things. Things that are so valuable to everybody, not just families, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. And what does it mean to raise an amazing kid? I, I think it means to raise a happy, healthy, vibrant child who grows up to be a productive member of society. And, and you know, I, I think everybody has their own definition of what it means to raise an amazing kid, but I think it's about being there and being supportive and being the best parent that we can to help raise the most amazing, awesome child. Yes. And I think the key word there is health, right? Not just physically mm-hmm. healthy, but mentally healthy, as right, we've exactly. talked so much about. Mm-hmm. Dr. Gator, where can our listeners find out more about you? Sure. I think the easiest place to go would be to Instagram, Dr. Joel Gator, um, or you can find me at integratedpediatrics.com. Perfect. And any resources or helpful links that you feel the listeners can benefit from, I would love to include all of those in the show notes. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, again, the biggest tip that I would have would be just reading labels. And if you want one great resource, environmental working group is a great resource for the dirty dozen. And that's, you know, just some items that you can choose um, to buy organic because those have the most chemicals on them. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And I will definitely include that link as well. Um, Dr. Gator, this has been such an amazing conversation because not only do you share valuable evidence-based research, but it's your compassionate, warm approach that focuses on a family's unique situation that I think resonates with everyone. And as a healthcare practitioner, as a parent, I really appreciate this conversation. Well, thanks so much for having me on. And I hope everyone stays uh, healthy and has a great rest of the week. Thank you. And to the listeners, we hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast with your host, Argavan Nilforush. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all the tips and tricks you and your family can use to make daily life a little easier. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, Please leave a rating and review, share with others, and follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast. As always, you can head over to babystepsnutrition.com to sign up for our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. See you next time. Tune in. Feel great.